You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery, the only native plant podcast to discuss Fred Durst, Juggalos, and My Little Pony. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. And uh, before we get into all our plant facts and, and ecological current events and, and all the fun that we have on this podcast, I want to ask, how'd the show go, Fran? Was it everything you hoped it would be? I, I just want you to take a moment to wrap your head around this. When My Little Pony takes the ice, that's two skaters working in unison. (laughs) Think about that. Just think about it. In order to put on a fantastic show, which they they put on a fantastic show. I can see why you needed the extra three days off to to wrap your head around it. It's already magical. But when you think about the logistics, that's uh, like – it's one thing to be magical in real life. But then to put skates on, (laughs) that's uh, (laughs) that's special. That's yeah. special. Well, glad you had fun. Yeah. Thank and, you. Uh, and glad that we're back recording in the same room once again. It feels like it's been a while because it, it has been it a while. It has been a while. And uh, and we wanted to, to have some announcements and some follow-up on past episodes. And uh, the one that I'm sure everyone was not expecting to hear again is uh, that a live show is rescheduled. <laughs> so we're still going to be pitching that for another week or so. You know, we were getting remnants of Hurricane Ian and um, – we were just a little concerned because it is a plant sale too. We wanted people to come out. So, uh, and, and everyone put so much hard work into this event, uh, that it would have been horrible had it just been canceled or had poor turnout. So mm-hmm. we, we were able to postpone. I, I don't know how, but we were able to, to get a rain date on this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be, uh, same at, same place, same, uh, Nature's Park Cafe in James Braddock Park in North Bergen, Bergen, New Jersey. Uh, the new date is Sunday. Uh, ten twenty three. So what's that? Two Sundays from, yeah. from this episode airing is uh is when we're gonna have that. And it's the native plant sale from ten to two, and then the podcast is from two to three. Our guest is mm-hmm. still Dr. Randy Eckel. Um, and I believe, from what I understand, the Nature's Park Cafe put together a special menu mm-hmm. just for this event. And if you've already uh secured your tickets, they'll be good for this one. But there's still time, and there's still a couple seats left. So. If if you can make if you couldn't make the last date, you can make this one. You can still get tickets. So uh, it is free, but you have to get your tickets in advance. You can mm-hmm. go to the uh, Native Plant Society of New Jersey website uh, and follow the link there. Plus, we've had it on social media. They've had it on social media. Yeah. So, so and uh, one thing that I forgot to bring up from our last Buzz episode was uh, was one of the follies that we spent way too much time on, and that was um, our. our Epic mispronunciation and un- misunderstanding of the the phrase "cause celeb," and uh, yes. which I think I'm still not 100 percent sure I'm saying that right. But we we had someone pop into our Facebook group and put up the the dictionary.com definition of it. Uh, so thank you, Evan, for doing that. And it's funny because ever since we had that in my article uh, two two buzz episodes ago, but almost a month ago now, I've heard it. Three times in Have you re- once in like a conversation, uh, and twice on other podcasts I listen to, and I can't say I've ever heard it mentioned before. I, I'm sure I have. It just it's 
It's like when I mentioned, oh, yeah, I really don't see a lot of ash trees around here. Excuse me, not ash trees, uh, beech trees around here. And then I started seeing beech trees everywhere. It's just sometimes you draw your attention to it, and then all of a sudden it pops up all around you, and you realize, I've been missing this my entire life. Listen, I have never heard it. Now that I know what it is, I can't find myself saying oh i've worked into multiple <laughs> times the three times i've heard it were other people using it i've worked it into a daily conversation now so all right oh I'm maybe just, that's my new my new goal is to see how many times i can work i can't that promise in. i'm using it right but uh but. Uh, i i like that i well that's my my oldest son does things like that like he learned everything you could learn about cucumbers and mm-hmm. his goal is to work it into most new conversations somehow he manages yeah. to do it and He's a weird kid. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's uh, yeah. This is very interesting. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but some of the other follow up we want to do is why we well one why uh, we told you why you didn't hear our live show yet air on here is because we haven't recorded it yet. Yes, it got postponed. In the meantime, we've had some. You got to listen to our moth night that we yeah. did back in uh, in August um, last week. You guys got to listen to. Uh, a little conversation that I had with Kyle Lieberger and Shannon Tromboli at the Eastern Native Grassland Symposium. Uh, great to see them there. And I was like, there's too many smart people here that we can like not record something and let it go to waste. Exactly. Unfortunately, that was the only conversation I was able to record. But There's too it, much going on. That was yeah, a, jack, there's, uh, a jam-packed uh, conference. There's a lot going on, and people tend to clam up when you say, hey, let me just put a microphone in the middle of the table, and let's yeah. just record what we're talking about right now. Um People aren't always as thrilled as I am to, to capitalize on that moment. But that event was really, really fantastic. It's uh, the, the example I use to describe that event and the people who attend is I we, we go to a lot of nursery trade shows and we get to hear about how great Japanese barberry is in the butterfly bush and hydrate. Oh, so many hydrangeas. And my favorite plant of all, the, the emerald green and green giant arborvitaes. Uh. Oh, my God. I love the, I love them. <laughs> I, you walk through all these trade shows and it's like oh there's how you think that one's emerald green or green giant or how many i know the we've difference. even asked how many of them how many of those uh cultivars of arborvitae are in that trade show hall because it's every single display seems to have one uh you know their green giant is probably in the ornamental trade one of the hottest plants right mm-hmm. now and it, it it has been for probably about 15 to 20 years because it's a, a fast-growing evergreen if you're if you're trying yeah. to screen your neighbor out yeah that's you want the to screen to your neighbor out you want that year-round uh green and you want something that looks like absolute horse poop they, in they, my opinion yeah i mean they <laughs> put on like a foot a year yeah and they they get i think 60 feet tall 60 to 80 feet tall so if you're yeah. looking as like a fast privacy hedge it's probably cheaper than mm-hmm. buying what's a pvc privacy oh yeah stuff. it's definitely cheaper than that it's uh yeah i don't i don't find it to be a very attractive plant, no, but either. i think it's just gotten so ingrained in in the the culture of today that oh that's what you need and uh yeah we get calls for it all the time too but we do i love the you because we're uh strictly native plant nursery we always have been we get at least one to two phone calls a week asking if we grow japanese maple mm-hmm. or yep. <laughs> or green giant or everybody it's kind yeah. of funny but. Uh, so then also we have coming up – or not coming up, but in the past, the week before, I went to the eastern region of the International Plant Propagators Society meeting and got to hang out with a lot of really cool people there. And oh, going back to Eastern Native Grass and Symposium, I was saying we go to all these nursery meetings and it's not really native plant folks. Then you go to the native plant meetings and it's like 
there's people who love plants like Fran and I, and then there's people who really love plants. And, and sometimes that can be a little intimidating for me, even though I'm in the native plant space because it can, I love what the plants do and I love how they work together. I don't necessarily love everything about Iris versus color, know all the facts. Um, so it can be like a little intimidating going there. Man, these people know way, way more than I do about this. And this Eastern native grass and symposium, which I just found out recently changed the name from Grass Symposium to Grassland Symposium. It used to just be about native grasses. Oh, okay. And then they said, you know what? The whole biodiversity there is what is important. And you get people who are really passionate about what these plants and these plant communities can do. Um, like there's a whole track about using uh, native grass and native grassland uh, species for cattle forage. And how now, okay, you can maybe you don't get as much productivity – from your commodity beef crop, but your or or from for hay and all this yeah. other stuff, but you have the pollinator benefit and the wildlife benefit and all these ecological benefits that go along with it. You have it's a big upfront cost because you're planting it once and it's much more yeah. expensive than traditional forages, but you're only planting it once. once it's coming yeah. back every year. It takes a little longer to establish, but it's coming back every year. And you can have these kind of like natural systems where you have that historic grazing pressure that were fulfilled by bison and elk and other things just with cattle that you're also going to be able to make money off of really cool dichotomy there. And then you bring in all the different things, the erosion control and pollinator benefit and all this other stuff, all these different people from DOTs and fish and game and all these different associations kind of working in the same direction, even though they have different end goals, they know that the track to get to those end goals is parallel and you also learned that red fox were introduced that, that, yeah that, i think that blew all every, yeah. like i could tell it blew everyone's mind on the podcast yeah it blew my mind when i was listening and it was one of those things when when we were just uh hanging out with former guest or uh, hopefully recurring guest yeah. nate uh champagne from mount cuba center's natural lands and he brought it up and it just kind of, we all just kind of stopped we were having dinner and, and a beer or two and just kind of stopped and like wait what did you just say? <laughs> and then we had to look it up and confirm it. And yeah, it's like, and I'll admit, I haven't personally confirmed it in my own phone, but Nate and uh, and Jake from the Native Habitat podcast, the Native Habitat project, they both looked it up and were like, oh yeah, holy crap, this is, this is real. It makes sense. It doesn't yeah. really look like a lot of our other Native, uh, so I need to make sure I clean out my uh, my son's closet of all his fox toys now. <laughs> now another introduced species, <laughs> but but I mean that's a, that's a great organization. There's some very passionate people uh, yeah. that speak of that. If if you want to get um, influenced, yeah, uh, or you, you know if you want to get pumped up for I, a season, that's that's I went where you back go. In, in 2018, and I was like, holy crap! I have never been more motivated to. Yeah. Like no, and know that kind of reassured that I was on the right track, having been there, and like that was my group of people is what I kind of found. So you so, had you had that. We're I, I don't want to say what you're going to be out the rest of the week for. Maybe we can save that for the secret. I figured now the week before I was at I was saying I was oh, at yeah. the International Plant Propagator Society meeting that was in Long Island and got to be around a lot of people. Who really loved 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 plants, not just native plants, but. Um, there was a good amount of native plant people there. Got to connect with some folks I'd never met before. Some of them were even listeners. I'll bring that up in the listener right. shout outs. But that was a really cool conference as well. It's a lot of very um, inspirational people yeah. at that one oh, yeah. as well. Um, yeah. And then I have coming up uh, 
the next two days, two and a half days, is Society Ecological Restoration. Um, uh, they're meeting in Annapolis, Maryland. So I'm going to be a moderator for one of the plenary sessions and then attend and, and see a lot of our former guests and, and customers. And that's a very passionate passionate group as well. There's a lot of fantastic talks uh, going on at that one that I can't wait to see. And I'm just looking forward to catching up with some of these people in person. It's always nice to uh, mm-hmm. to, to see people now that we're, we're meeting. Hopefully that doesn't get derailed as the – season goes on but right now it's it's just kind of nice to be able to shake hands again yeah yeah so and uh let's see what else do we have to talk about right now was um i think we covered it i think that's it for for a little housekeeping i don't have anything else all right so let's get into the plants that we're vibing with this week and start with that's hot that's hot uh i'll let you go first yeah sure uh mine is relatively short and it's a plant i know we've talked about before and that is a uh, asclepius syriaca which when i'm around all the well i shouldn't say that when i was around a lot of these plant people they say asclepius but there was a handful that still said asclepius i've always said asclepius i'm sticking with it i've always said asclepius um, too. so asclepius syriaca uh which is common milkweed and uh and we just had a post in our our native plants healthy planet facebook group patrick gilliam patrick gilliam saying that he collected some pods that fell off his plant a little early uh, they were still pretty green. We've found that you can collect them then, and, and a lot of times they'll ripen up and the germination will still be just yeah. fine. Um, Ideally, you want it when the pot just starts to open. Yeah. Uh, is, yep. is perfect. But Now, and a little background from Jersey Friendly Yards on that plant, if you're unfamiliar, which I'm not sure who would be, but you might be, is that common milkweed is a wildlife-friendly perennial. Uh, the large, thick leaves are light green with red veins, Rounded clusters of fragrant pinkish-purple flowers bloom in June through August. Large bumpy seed pods, which are really cool, by the way, uh, split open when ripe to release silky, wind-dispersed seeds. The seed pods are used in dried floral arrangements, which actually sounds pretty cool. It does. I'm talking about that line there where it says, when ripe, they release silky, wind-dispersed seeds. And uh, if you're familiar with common milkweed seeds, when you crack open that pod, there is just a big fluff. That kind of pops out with these little, I shouldn't say little, probably um, maybe like a fifth the size of a penny. If you like split a penny in a fist, maybe they're that big and the same similar color as a penny, that coppery color. And uh, and they have a big fluff attached to them. And for uh, collecting seed, we actually clean that fluff off. I've seen demonstrations where I actually use like a lighter and then burn it all off. I've heard that can mess with the seed viability a little bit. Um, you can tumble them. There's different ways to get that fluff off. But uh, but that fluff is also really important because it disperses the seed by wind, which makes it a really, really important tool for another outdoor group, and that's uh, people like to hunt. Because uh, especially when it comes to white-tailed deer, their noses are way, way stronger than, uh, than people's noses. That's one of the ways that they find out when there's threats around us because they can smell them before anything. Um, so they'll really follow the wind sometimes and make sure they're going to be upwind of, or excuse me, downwind of where they might sense a potential threat if they can. Um, one of the examples to, to find a, a white-tailed deer's nose I've heard versus like a human's nose is if I was to walk into Fran's house and he had been cooking a, a stew, like okay. beef stew, I'd walk in, man, that smells really good. It smells like beef stew. Yeah. If a deer was to walk in Fran's house, which would be kind of weird, but if you yeah, walk in Fran's odd. house, he would... S- or he or she would smell the stew, but would be say, "Oh, I smell carrots. I smell potatoes. I smell celery. I smell beef. I smell the stock. I smell onion." And kind of break. They could pick out all those individual scents. 
Um, it wouldn't just be the one scent that we have when you smell, uh, like smell cooking yeah. and it just kind of blends together on our noses and it becomes its own, own thing. Um, so the nose is really, really much stronger than ours. So when you're hunting for deer, you need to know which way the wind is going. So a lot of people, it's become really popular to pick your milkweed pods and that fluff because it floats in the wind. You can kind of just drop a couple of seed heads here or there and the fluff kind of shows you which way the wind is going and you know if you're going to be upwind of your desired deer location or, or not. Um, so I did that the other day. I was walking in and found some and grabbed them and stuck in my pocket and then I'm just dropping milkweed seeds. So I was spreading seed on purpose. Yeah. I, some people don't do it on purpose, <laughs> but yeah, spreading it on purpose just because it's I know that it's going to a good place, and hopefully it's going to pop up someplace that'll germinate as well. In addition to making sure the wind's going the right way, Very it's pretty cool. cool watching it too. Yeah. Because sometimes there's thermals, wind directions too. So, well, not wind directions. As the sun's coming up in the morning, the ground and if you have water features nearby are colder than the air becomes. So you'll actually have like the the you'll have instances where uh, those seed fluffs are basically yeah. like sucked down, like are sucked okay. in different directions yeah. based upon the temperature of the air versus. So the, like if you have a pond nearby, that air is going to be colder. So you're going to have that fluff is going to get kind of get sucked into it. And then same thing in the afternoon when you get out West in the mountains, mm-hmm. it'll be, now you have the, the topography thermals. So gotcha. you have cooler and warmer patches of air. So you'll have things where, your scent, even though the wind might be in your face, your scent's actually going up the other way. Oh wow! Because um, because just the temperature differences are making wind or the air move in different ways. That's really awesome. really interesting. You can drive yourself nuts over. It. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I just did. <laughs> so, That's great. awesome. But what, great, not only great plant, great great uh, information yeah. along with that. I yeah. learned a lot from that. Um, so I went with uh, common persimmon uh, this week as that fruit's starting to ripen up. Uh, which is Diosporus virginiana. Uh, it's a small to medium tree of moist and dry sites. Uh, many species of wildlife feed on that fruit. Uh, we find a lot of our customers, it's a great choice for reclamation of mine spoils or landfills. It gets you know anywhere from 35 to 60 foot. It is a facultative species, which means alternately wet, alternately dry. It means 33 to 66% of the time it's found in wetlands. Um, but I also include it Along with this, the information from uh, Lady Bird Johnson, uh, wallflower.org, just because there was some great information. and There was something on here I loved, actually. Um, in old fields, common persimmon is a low, shrubby tree, uh, as small as 15 foot tall. In rich soil, the species becomes a large tree up to 100 foot tall with a spreading crown and pendulous branches. Bell-shaped yellow flowers are hidden by half-grown leaves. Large oval mature leaves usually become yellow-green in the fall. The large orange edible fruit attracts wildlife. And old trunk, uh, old trunks of the bark is thick and dark gray to almost black uh, and broken into scaly squarish blocks. Common persimmon is deciduous, best known by its sweet orange fruit in autumn. When ripe, the sweet fruit of the persimmon somewhat recalls the flavor of dates. Immature fruit contains tannin that is strongly astringent. Uh, persimmon often consumed fresh are used to make puddings, cakes, and beverages. American Indians made persimmon bread and stored the dried fruit like prunes. Opossums, raccoons, skunks, deers, and birds also feed upon the fruit. Principal uses of the wood are for golf club heads, shuttles, uh, for textile weaving, and furniture veneer. The word persimmon is of Algonquin origin, while the genus name uh, Diosporos 
uh, is from the Greek meaning fruit of the god, uh, specifically Zeus. So I thought that was yeah. – I didn't know that. That's I always love learning. Like I'll never yeah. forget that Diosporus or Diospyros mm-hmm. is, is fruit of the gods. Yeah, it's an awesome plant, and uh, and it's in fruit right now. I just tried one the other day. It's um, It's one I want to learn how to cook with because eating them raw, it gives you that like – little fuzzy sensation yeah the first time Um, i had one your dad we we were at a uh collection site in in southern new jersey and he gave me one i'd never had it before and you're right it gives you that fuzzy feeling yeah in your mouth is and it's delicious but it just i you take a couple bites and you're like "Eh, i don't know if i want to eat this anymore yeah but um and it's not because of the flavor it's just like it's almost like a numbing sensation in a way but, uh, yeah, so I've been looking up some different recipes on things I could do with it other than make uh, a hooch. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want There's my reputation to be, be hinged on making uh, making. That's a good reputation hooch. to have. Yeah. You'll get invited a lot of places. <laughs> that is true. You know, uh, persimmon hooch, I, I think it's the time of the year where we need to explore that. Tom. Yeah, I might have to try it. I, I was I, thinking about it the other day. So. <laughs> but, you know, if you're looking for edible fruit trees for your property to help with uh, – Wildlife. This is a great yeah. one to add. Not another one that people one, always think yeah. about. Another one that's really popular with uh, with hunters because it's another one that white-tailed deer really are attracted to, um, and it's only has fruit that's dropping on the ground that they're able to get for a handful of days. But you'll find that that's something that uh, a lot of different wildlife is really attracted to, and that's why it's a favorite for for hunters because it's a way to bait their target in. Yeah. Yeah, great choice. So two great choices. Uh, you can't go wrong with either one. If you're going with uh, persimmon, make sure you have some space because obviously that's going to get a little bit larger. But common milkweed, and that can seed itself in. You know mm-hmm. that's why you know a lot of farmers consider yeah. that plant an issue on their farm fields. A, a little aside, which um, so at this Eastern Native Grass and Symposium, you have a lot of different seed producers there, and it's just interesting to hear uh, regional observations. So I'm. Um, Talking to well, I went to a presentation with Mark Feely from Ernst, who's probably yeah. one of the most knowledgeable uh, horticulturalists I've ever met. I agree. Um, and uh, and he was giving a presentation talking about different pollinator benefits of different native species, and uh, he was saying that where they are in Meadville, Pennsylvania, they find that they find most of their monarch caterpillars on their common milkweed, where here. We find most of it on our swamp milkweed. Yeah. My brother said that we don't we don't have a big field of butterfly uh, milkweed, but he said when that's where per plant, like or if you've had like a per capita per plant yeah. or whatever, that's where he finds the most. Um, and then I was talking to a seed producer in from Minnesota, Shooting Stars, a guy Mark Utsdoen from Shooting Star Native Seeds, and he said, "Oh yeah, our I when he said that I was like, oh, we usually see more on our swamp milkweed." And I didn't touch base with the folks from Roundstone to see what they did. But it's just that uh, we've even noticed in the past some different um, places, some differences, regional differences in how high or how tall plants get. Yeah. Uh, deer resistance is one where it's stuff that we're finding has immense deer resistance was one of the most preferred things they found for deer in their area. And, uh, yeah, it's just interesting it, it, some of these regional differences. It could and, be flight paths too, yeah. just what's on their way, what's more abundant along that path that they're – they're mm-hmm. able to feed from, yeah. and I think being coastal plain with a little bit, 
where this swamp, be, swamp milkweed may yeah. be a little more abundant in some areas than, than this others. This would be almost impossible to, to track, I would think. But I wonder how much of it has to do. Like you, you hear about salmon and how yeah. they always return to the same stream where they were spawned or to spawn where they were born. And I wonder if any of it has to do with with that. Like if that caterpillar was the egg was laid on swamp milkweed as an adult, that's what it's going to look for. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that research has been done and we're just behind the times. But, yeah, I wonder if that's a, a aspiring uh, Ph.D. student maybe, <laughs> that's, that's or, listening to this right now. There's your, your Or maybe we can phone a document. friend. Maybe yeah. we can follow up. Maybe we could talk to Cass and, and mm. Kelly at the Xerxes Society. They may already be aware or something. Yeah. They're probably yeah. good people to ask for yeah, that one. that's probably a good one. There but, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know, it just popped in my head. Yeah, so that's awesome. We'll have to do our research after or maybe as you're giving will, your, your – Article presentation. Maybe, I'll start looking it up. Maybe that will be our follow up for yeah. uh, the next buzz in our uh, housekeeping. So, two great choices. Um, let's move on to this or that. So, after two weeks of voting, we do have a winner, and the winner is uh, Fran with a resounding victory, twenty-five to ten this week. A lot of Patag- uh, Patagonia, or, or as Tim Dempsey uh, said, Patagucci uh, lovers, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny because that's pretty pretty accurate. Yeah. But uh, I guess a lot of people were passionate about that one, so I got the win. I'm going to choose to go first this week. All right, go Even ahead. Though you let me go first last week, I don't get to go first too often. Um, so my that's because you lose so much. I do. I lose all the time, <laughs> so I'm going to take advantage of it while I while I have the opportunity. Uh, my article this week is called Tracking Invasive Plants from Space. This was uh, written by the University of Minnesota and published on phys.org. Um, I'm just looking to see how long it is. That's not that long. Um, invasive plant species do more than harm agriculture and native species as they reshape landscapes. They also cause economic losses of more than $20 billion annually in the U.S. alone. Identifying where and how quickly invasive plants are spreading is critical to fighting an invasion. Scientists and land managers currently use on-site field surveys, population size, density, or growth rates to obtain this information, which can be prohibitively expensive and labor-intensive. Furthermore, invasive species are spreading so rapidly around the world that traditional methods have, been co- uh, have become untenable. New techniques are urgently needed to track invasive species more efficiently. A recent study co-authored by University of Minnesota professor David Moeller Along with graduate student Thomas Lake and research scientist Ryan Briscoe Runquist evaluated one such technique, and the results are encouraging. The research team developed deep learning models known as uh, convolutional neural networks, which allow a computer to learn to identify objects of interest in satellite images. Using the deep learning models, computers scan satellite imagery of the Twin Cities region for an invasive plant known as leafy spurge, Euphorbia vergata, sometimes also referred to as Euphorbia asula. Team used both higher resolution imagery that is taken rarely and lower resolution imagery that is taken daily by satellites. They wanted to determine whether a series of lower resolution images taken across seasons could be used for accurate detection of the plant. Time series ana- analysis, uh, uh, analysis is relatively new in this type of deep learning model, so we're really excited to find out uh, find that it works so well at identifying leafy spurge populations," said Briscoe Runquist. Deep learning allows scientists to discover patterns that would have been previously impossible to detect. The study found that the deep learning models uh, detected leafy spurge in the Twin Cities region with greater than 96% accuracy. Detection was accurate with high-resolution imagery as well as using 
a series of lower resolution images over time. I'm listening. <laughs> Brain, I don't know what you did there, but was uh, that me? No, that's uh, that's my computer. Oh, okay. Siri is listening to you. Uh, <laughs> Oh, series. The model incorporating a temporal series of images derived predictive power from the timing of plant emergence, flowering, and senescence. The findings suggest that deep learning model uh, deep learning models can accurately identify individual species over complex landscapes with satellite imagery, even if a temporal series of lower of resolution images is used. This means that in the future, deep learning models have great potential to dynamically track invasive species over time using publicly available satellite images. Future research will track how leafy spurge has spread over the Great Plains in the past 35 years and predict how its distribution is likely to change in the future with climate change. According to Moeller, invasive species are more difficult than ever to manage, and surveillance via satellite is a low-cost, rapid method for dynamically monitoring uh, invasions. So I I thought a couple things were were pretty – interesting about that one one that they can track just how big of a problem this mm-hmm. is becoming um especially in natural areas where you wouldn't expect to find obviously it's if you're going over uh native areas you're finding in places that that you're you wouldn't or shouldn't typically uh find it um the other thing was that invasive species caught cause economic losses of more than 20 billion annually in the US. I wonder what that equates to. I would like to know more about that to say what are those economic losses yeah. because of that. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, it's uh unless it, they're talking about restoration due oh, to Oh yeah, I, I have no to, idea. But um with the the satellite imagery, it, it makes sense. Um it's it is surprising. Oh, well, I guess like you can zoom in all the way on your house on Google, Google Maps. Maps. So yeah. it makes sense that you could get that detailed. I know just from I've seen all this like drone research where they'll like fly drones, and this is for agricultural stuff, but they can fly drones over agricultural fields or even at the nursery, and they can kind of tell, hey, you have an issue here because you can see the canopy cover is not as thick, or yeah. the um, you can see the just the color color is different. Uh, there's just all different things you can see. Uh, I know even with infrared or infrared um, data. You can see different heat signatures on plants and say, well, this plant must be fighting something because yeah. it's obviously hotter. Um, so it makes sense they could do it for invasive spread yeah. too. So, yeah, it, it's – Especially if it's occurring in a place that you may – like sometimes you don't know it's there until it's too late. Mm-hmm. Like if it can identify it in areas that are newer where mm-hmm. they can control it ahead of time, it may be a very valuable – let, you know, one of the things we talk about in our talk that we're giving lessons learned is that yep. sometimes fighting invasives can be a losing battle. But if you find a pristine area and you can keep it clean, that's mm-hmm. that's a, a big win. So it may be a way to keep areas pristine if, mm-hmm. if they're noticing ahead of time and get in ahead of it or at least find out how it's changed our our landscapes or our forests over yeah. Over the decades. Oh, yeah. yeah, just to be able to go back and look and see, okay, this is what it looked like 10 years ago. Here's what it looked like five years ago. Here looks, here's what it looks like today is pretty important. Yeah. Um, especially when we talk about how rapidly some of these invasive species can spread. So, no, that's, and then you work in the AI and like it's automatically identified. And now you have computers just, that are scrolling through satellite imagery 
and kind of saying, hey, here's where we have an issue. Well, just think and about it. And now you, I don't, you don't have to do it. Yeah, I was because how many boots on the ground would you have to mm-hmm. have to supply that same kind of information yeah. when you're using satellite imagery that's readily available? It's kind of invaluable as far as manpower goes, and it's kind of yeah. nice to have that. Yeah. It's one of those things I I read. We read all these articles, and I'm like, man, there are so many people who are so much smarter than us out there. <laughs> <laughs> we're just sitting here talking to a couple microphones in a room by ourselves. It's we're just like, we're just talking about it. But you know, <laughs> you know, there's no difference between that and as say like a uh, a, a news broadcaster because they may have some knowledge of the news, but they're not creating it. They're like mm-hmm. somewhat. They're, they're journalists. They have a journalistic yeah. background, yeah. but. They're they're telling you what everyone else has found. It's not their findings, yeah. and it's kind of yeah. No, that's true. We're the action news of Native Plant Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the guy's name. Jim Gardner. Jim Gardner. I'm Jim Gardner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who you, you have be? to be from Philadelphia <laughs> to to get that one. Uh, but that's my article. What do you have this week? Yeah. So mine is actually from the World Economic Forum, and uh, and it was in another article that I had was going to present and I realized oh no this is just a a note summary of a podcast and I didn't have time to listen to the podcast so I said this is one of the things they referenced and uh pretty interesting and the title of it was beavers can help mitigate mitigate the effects of climate change but how significant is their impact and I'll read a little bit and it was relatively short but um but I'm going to cut some stuff out as well all right so Uh, The beaver is a unique ecosystem engineer that can create a landscape that would otherwise not exist. Thanks to the animal's ability to build dams, as we experience more frequent heat waves and drought, the potential role of beavers is safeguarding against these risks have uh, have captured widespread attention. Beaver habitats are claimed to lower lower local stream and air temperatures by maintaining water supplies, provide insurance against drought, greater water storage may also improve the resilience of landscape towards wildfire. However, it's important to consider the significance of beaver habitats as a solution to our changing climate from both human and wildlife perspectives. It's not as simple as saying beavers can protect human society against the effects of extreme weather. So uh, on the water storage and wildlife sanctuary, beaver ponds and wetlands can cover wide areas and store more water than the stream would have, uh, streamfoe would have without them. However, beavers are restricted to relatively small streams. To achieve a water capacity large enough to supplement human supplies, beavers had to construct an unrealistically large number of ponds across the same uh, catchment. Even then, the water storage would be dispersed across many shallow ponds, making extraction for use in water supply network unrealistic. Uh, what an increase in beaver ponds can do is provide more refuges for wildlife at local levels while allowing the slow release of water downstream during dry periods. Such refuges can be critical for wildlife during a drought and so help preserve an area's biodiversity. Greater water storage will also increase the ecosystem's resilience to climate change. This has been demonstrated during the summer's drought, uh, and this was from uh, from the UK, which we had a drought here, but I guess they also had a drought there. Uh, beaver wetlands and Devon's River Otter have de- irrigated the surrounding area and kept vegetation alive, preserving a habitat that many animals depend on. Uh, evaporative cooling, uh, so bodies of waters can also reduce the air temperature around them because the evaporation is a cooling effect. However, unless the water bodies are very large or in high number, this easing tends to diminish rapidly with distance from the water. This would make it difficult to rely upon beaver ponds for cooling benefits for human settlements. Beavers also tend to open up the canopies of nearby forests by felling trees during the construction of dams. This can reduce shading and allow more direct sun exposure, which complicates any potential cooling effects. However, felling can also increase habitat complexity, supporting a mixture of meadows and wet woodland. 
The natural disturbance can, caused by beavers can create floodplain woodlands that are wider, are wider, wilder and wetter, allowing greater biodiversity. In some cases, this can also slow the flow of water and improve water quality. The same processes of opening up the canopy can also increase local water temperatures. However, this can be heavily moderated by the interaction between surface water and groundwater. This means the outcome of water temperatures will be highly river dam and pond dependent. For this reason, research into the thermal impact of beaver habitats has proved inconclusive. However, it would be wise to temper expectations for the role of beavers as a drought solution for human settlements, nevertheless by offering a local buffer against the ravages of, uh, of drought heat waves and wildfire, beaver habitat or beaver habitats carry the potential to help stimulate natural recovery and reverse biodiversity loss. In the UK, beavers have recently received legal protection, but face a future of expa- expansion to human landscapes. The decades ahead will require some nuanced landscape decisions that can incorporate beaver habitats in the large-scale nature recovery and restoration schemes. Beavers are showing that their impacts can offer added levels of ecosystem resilience to a changing climate that we would be wise to embrace. Uh, and it's just an interesting and kind of thought-provoking article because – And beaver, be, yeah. beavers are a keystone species, correct? I believe so. Yeah. It, I guess okay. it depends on where you are, but okay. we often consider them a keystone species because they, they're they the one that dictates what the landscape's going to look like. Yeah. You don't have beavers. You're going to have a nice meandering stream and then probably a, a meadow or riparian buffer on either side. Uh, when you have beavers, that stream becomes a pond. So without the beavers, you don't have that pond there. Now think about – like I would – whenever I think about this, I think about – your property up mm-hmm. in the Adirondacks in New York, and that's Beaver Lake, is it, is it called? Oh, I don't know on, if it has a name. I think but, it's called Beaver Lake, uh, actually, on your property. Yeah, I've uh, never heard that, but which is, it could be. I think if you look on a map, oh. I, I'll look when yeah. <laughs> I'll look when we get a chance later, but I think it's called Beaver Lake. I'm going to look right now. All right, good. Yeah. But um, that is Beaver Created, and you look at the stream beyond the lake, and it's like trying to imagine because that's, that's a big lake. Not huge, but how many it's acres? It's like 10 to 12 acres. Yeah. Yeah. And you could tell it's beaver created because you could see the dead wood uh, coming up to the lake. But it's, uh, you know, because of that, you have pitcher plants. You have all this cool thing that maybe wouldn't have been there before. And it, it's really changed what that landscape is. So, and I know Black Run Preserve here in, in South Jersey is one of um, a favorite place of mine and my wife's to go visit. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, beaver created. A pond or, or lake there so i don't see any name on it on all right the, I'll, I'll on the map but i'll look as you we'll go to, into we'll it but i find out maybe i made that up but, but i thought it was called beaver lake yeah but um yeah it's just they can really alter the landscape and it was interesting thinking about how they can be they can you have the cooling aspect of it because you're spreading that water surface out the water is going to be take longer to change temperatures than the air temperatures. We kind of talked about this earlier a little bit. Yeah. So it'll stay cooler into the day longer in the winter. It's actually going to stay a little warmer than the air temperature might. Um, that's why when you go and like dip your feet in a lake or a pool or, or in the morning and like a chilly morning, it feels warmer. It's because it is warmer. Um, yeah. It doesn't rapidly fluctuate as much, but at the same time you're clearing out canopy cover when you have the beavers and, uh, and, now they raised the issue of the, you're having the sun reach the floor more. So I would assume, yeah, that does make the temperatures go up. But just having you have a greater diversity, so of of I don't think the soil temperature would actually go up. I don't know. This is another one where smarter people than me know the answer, and I don't. 
so I don't want to speak out of turn on this. But your soil temperature still—it's not like the sun is hitting the far, like the forest floor. You have a whole new biodiversity of of flora that's come up that is blocking the sun from hitting the soil. So I don't know if the soil temperature would actually change, but um, the air temperature is going to be much warmer because you don't have that. Well, I guess at our head height would be, but at like a mouse's head height or a squirrel's head height is it going to be much higher at. Three inches above, would the, would I guess that's a good question. Would the air temperature be warmer if you don't have a tree cover, but you have uh, native grass cover? I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know somebody the answer to that either. Someone has done that research. I've seen all these papers that are out there. Uh, another something I learned at IPPS is just a little tidbit. I should save this for the secret. Maybe I'll repeat it there. All right. If you want, if you're googling something or going through a search engine for something, and you want to find, like, information about it, not someone trying to sell you something about it, put PDF at the end. Oh, And okay. you do that, and all of a sudden you get, like, research papers and and published pieces instead of, like, if I search for uh, Green Giant Arborvitaes, if I put PDF, I'm going to find research about it. Okay. If I just search it, I'm going to find, like, 10 thousand nurseries trying to sell it to me yeah so little tidbit tidbit there i didn't know that yeah someone's had to have done some research on that and just seen what the difference in like soil temperature or or that surface level air temperature is um between like a, a prairie versus woodland and is it really that different i would imagine it's higher but i can't imagine that it's that much higher uh, it's not like it's bare soil where you have a dark surface that's absorbing the sun's heat and and making it significantly hotter. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just it was interesting to kind of dive into some of the things that beavers can do across the world because well, this article was based out of the U.K. Um, but we can't just say, oh, well, this is going to we, – we have more beavers out there. It's going to solve all our issues. No. There's still issues for people, There's and there's just not enough waterways to manage – to, to solve all of these climate crisis things. Um, no, but it's at least it's, you know, again, it's it's good research for the start of this and, and some understanding. And, and that's what's important. And I think it's it's good to know some of these things. And I think we kind of maybe knew without the research mm-hmm. that some of this was, was the point. But um, it's just interesting how these creatures just know how to fix it. Yeah. I'm assuming they know. I'm assuming that it's not just coincidental. Oh, or I accidental. think it's coincidental. I Do don't think really? they, I don't think they have any clue. I think they're doing what's best for them. The same okay. way humans yeah, that, are. Do- that's true. We're that's doing true. what's best for us or what we think is best for us and in result we're I'll put it this way. If we if the beavers don't know there is a point where they have diminishing returns, but they're yeah. not going to stop. Like if you have more yeah, beavers, they're just going to keep going and eventually you'd have nothing but but, but flooded out places and beavers fighting all the time. It's that they're kept in check what? by predators and mostly people. Do you know what beaver predator? What's a beaver predator? Oh, it's it, the number one is is people. It's humans. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I, I would imagine like coyotes and wolves will get them, but it's they're pretty hard to get to because they spend so much time in the water and in their dens that are in the water. So well, this is interesting. Coyotes, foxes, bobcats, otters, and great horned owls. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah. I'm trying to imagine an owl yeah. picking off a beaver. I would bet a lot of them are on, on, the like the immature. Oh, okay. Beavers, like the baby right. beavers. Gotcha. Because you think about like deer predation, there are really not a lot of things outside of people that are going to kill mature deer. Um, but coyotes or bears, they'll eat the Even fawns in- when they're just born. That's one of the reasons deer drop so many fawns mm-hmm. at once. Same way oaks drop all their acorns at once because you just overwhelm the predators with there's too much food on the ground. Admitting that, okay, some of these fawns are going to get eaten. But the rest of them eventually are going to get big enough they can outrun yeah. the predators. I mean, even point. an eagle. There was an instance yeah. in the farm field where a bald eagle trying to fly away with a fawn. Yeah, couldn't quite, yeah. <laughs> couldn't quite muster the energy up. But yeah. no, two great articles. Uh, we're going to make sure we post it. We actually have some help now, so it will. Yeah, we do. We, we yeah. do have some help yeah. with our social media posts. Yeah. So thanks, Christiane. Yes, thank you. We should, uh, and she should be listening, so she'll hear that. Thank you. So. This should be posted uh, hopefully Friday uh, for vote. So uh, make sure you vote. And of course, the choice is yours. How uh, is that? Saga, Saga Fix? Yeah, I think you did it. <laughs> All right. You want to do some listener shout outs? Yeah, let's do it. Listener, listener, shout outs. Shout would you like to go first or would you like me to go? I have a long list. All right. I'll so go I, first. Then. Okay. <laughs> I'll go first and make it easier. So I have two. Um, Andrew Plunkett, who is one of our customers with the local school district who has purchased plants from us before. Uh, he actually came out to see us speak at the Sourlands. Uh, train station talk. Wish you would have stopped and said hello. Maybe you did and we just didn't know it was you. But thank you for uh, coming out to to see our talk. And also Jason Blowers, who's a listener of us on the podcast, and I found out we're birthday twins. So happy birthday, wow, Jason. Nice. And uh, yeah, that's kind of cool. This is another like random fact that your son would probably like. But you know when you were in like in uh, elementary school and, and high school and how you – there's always seemed to be someone who had like the same birthdays. Yeah. There's always two people. You'd think that you'd need 365 people in a room before you had a likelihood of like crossover in birthdays. Yeah. But it's like – I think the rate of a room full of like a hundred people of two people having the same birthday was like seventy percent or seventy five percent. Yeah, it's super high. Um once you get down to like twenty is where it starts to really diminish. I don't remember what the exact statistic was, but the light you always think it's like, Oh, that's crazy, we yeah. have the same birthday or these two people have the same birthday, but it's a lot it's more statistically likely than people would assume. Yeah, I mean it's uh my oldest son. Our neighbors had a, a a child on the same. They had a son on the same day. Like so, they had the same birthday. They were born yep. within hours of each other. And I just know our neighbors now. And my sister in law just had babies mm-hmm. uh, within two different days, but within yep. eight hours of each other. So wow. it's it's just crazy when you think of and both. One was on my birthday, and one was the day after my birthday. Oh, wow. So it was yeah. yeah, it was uh pretty crazy. But yeah, uh, thank thank uh. Both Andrew and Jason for reaching out. Uh, we appreciate listening. Thank you. Yeah, so I had a whole crew of people at uh, at IPPS, most of them being from North Creek. Uh, we'll start with Rob, Rose, Arden, and Rebecca. Uh, all awesome. listen. Some of them I've talked to before, and then some of them I've just met for the first time at that that meeting. It was great to hang out with them um, and talk talk plants and they flattered me a little bit too much, <laughs> like thinking made me think I'm somewhat special. So, but and we have some plans to actually talk with some of them at some point um, about how to get into the native plant industry. Oh, very um, cool. just a, 
there's a great group of, of young folks there, and we get questions all the time. It's like, hey, I want to start working in native plants, whether it's on the restoration side or or uh, on the, the nursery side. And, well, you have a group there that did it. I did it too, but it was because of, of nepotism. So I, I was it, born into I, it, literally. I did it not on purpose. I wasn't yeah. looking to get into it. Yeah. So it just happened that I did. So, yeah, I just thought it would be cool to, to bring on some folks and share their stories on how they did it, kind of maybe inspire some other folks that are uh, out of college or maybe still lo- like looking for a career change, got into something, don't know, don't think they're quite on the right path. Whenever we get – or whenever we post a job, we always get people looking for a career change. Yeah. Um, you know, which is which is fantastic. It's just a little harder sometimes when it's people further along in their careers to make that switch when yeah. you don't have experience. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe this is a topic for a little bit. I think some of it is sometimes our industry gets looked at with rose-colored glasses. Oh, we've talked about this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. because it's you, – you think of all the positives and wonderful aspects of what native plants and ecology do, mm-hmm. but it's also – sometimes very grueling and very hard work. Yeah. And, you know, it's working in rain and snow, uh, long mm. hours. And it's – sometimes it's not what people expect. Yeah. And there's still – it's – we're a production company. Uh, so there's still that balance of, of being able to produce – like we're growing native plants in an unnatural condition. So there's the trials and tribulations that come along with that. And so we have – the balance, what's going on. We have to run our, ourselves like an ecological company, but also like a, a, a production nursery at For the same profit time. business, yeah. And um, and try and find that that place on the slider between the two. And that changes on a daily basis yeah. on the decision you have to make. But, but there's um, some great ways to get involved, even if it's not in the business. You know, if you're volunteering and you're you're working with nonprofits and things like that, there's ways to get into it. And we've seen people I, I just spoke to someone who made that career change they were doing uh at a conference I was at I didn't even mention this one, the uh, Ecological Health Network, uh like the first really meeting of mm-hmm. trying to fix uh native seed supply chains in the in the northeast and New England. Um and one of our listeners actually made a career change where they they had multiple masters, I think, in engineering mm-hmm. <laughs> and worked in the tech industry and supply chain and was able to make that jump into the nursery setting because they had a love for nursery and, and native plants. So it's it's possible. It's you just have to kind of find that right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And and I know that nursery or, or owner saw this person and said they may not be perfect for the job I'm Mm-hmm. Posting, yeah, but I'm finding a job for yeah. this person because yeah. this is we find that a lot yeah. where it's uh it's the the job that we're looking to fill might need a little bit more experience, but then you have people walking in the door that don't have the experience. Like, oh man, they would be an asset here, and I just got to find some place we can put them, and then let's get them on the payroll, and then figure out where they're going to thrive. And, and it, it tends to work out quite a often when you do that yeah so, yeah so it's it's um but, it's, but it's, hopefully we're yeah. gonna do a, an episode on that at some point so some other folks i met and this was at the eastern native grass and symposium there's a uh, derek and Britt from kentucky natural lands um okay. which are some new friends they sent us some t-shirts oh and, wow that's awesome and uh and a whole bunch of other stuff some stickers and, and all kinds of cool stuff so it was great to meet them i honestly i think they're new listeners but they were just a lot of fun to hang out with and uh 
So this might be the first episode they're listening to. And then um, then you also had Wes from Stantec, who he said, he and again, another new, new listener, but he was like, I'm on the road a lot, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. It's nice to listen to ones that are kind of relevant to what I'm doing. So hopefully he's listening as well. And then uh, the other two, which I was also flattered by, is Kyle Leibarger and Shannon Trimboli, which uh, I'm also consumers of their podcast too. So it's They're both nice people to sit I, down and yeah. – like you guys heard last week, we're we're following each other on everything, and uh, to be thought of as as uh, even a peer, yeah, a peer those, to th- them is those, is pretty. It's it's um flattering. Those are two least. people I really look up to, yeah. and and just to be even put in the same conversation with them is is extremely flattering. So um, totally, and that the the woman that I was speaking of is Elizabeth Falk with Planner's Choice, who also mm-hmm. mentioned she's a listener. And we met at the yeah. Ecological Health Network meeting, so it was really nice to to meet Elizabeth and and to hear that that she listened. So it's it's funny, like it's how it. it some people are afraid to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it came out at lunch finally, but it's yeah. um, don't be afraid to bring it up. Oh yeah, just, it's yeah. like it's we're very approachable. Be, yeah, I'll say don't be afraid to bring it up. We're going to these conferences for the same reason you're going to these conferences. Yeah. Don't act like we're anybody special because we're not. We're just not. you can thank us for what we're doing, and and we're more than happy to talk about it. But um, yeah, it's uh, it can it was it can be a little weird sometimes <laughs> when you have people who are like, oh, I really love your podcast and all this and that. And um, actually, Kyle and I were having some fun at that. I for, I've talked to him numerous times over the last couple of years, but first time I actually got to meet him in person, and um, and it was uh. It was like having an old friend in a way where you could kind of poke fun at each other. And yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid to bring up that he was TikTok famous. He was a little, <laughs> he, he was TikTok. very modest about it, but I would, I was, I felt like free to throw that out there and he'd, he'd blush a little bit and people were like, Oh my God, I've, I follow you. <laughs> really, <laughs> start, start uh, like fangirling and fanboying. Over it was pretty funny, but it's, yeah. you know, I was listening to an interview. I know this is off topic, from uh, Rivers Cuomo from Weezer. Mm-hmm. And after the first album, he went back to college because he got tired of touring and didn't really care for mm-hmm. the touring life. And no one knew that he was the guy from Weezer. And he's like, I'd be on the bus going to class and there'd be there'd be fellow students wearing Weezer shirts. And he goes, I had grown long hair and had a beard and I had an operation on my leg, so I'm walking with a cane. So no one... No, it was me. And he goes, it wasn't until the last day at school when everyone was talking about what they're doing. And he's like, oh, I'm going on tour. And they're like, are you, you know, a roadie or like, are you following a band? Like, are you just following a band? He goes, no, I'm in Weezer. And they're like, what? Like, it just blew everyone's mind because yeah. he was so unassuming. No one even realized it was him. And everyone was like, yeah. you know, that's how it would be like with, although Kyle's face is, you're seeing him on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but uh, it's got to be kind of cool to go somewhere and run into someone that you follow and go, oh, my God, that's. Oh, yeah, I, I've done it. I, I did it. So some guys who I see watch on YouTube that were at Cultivate over the summer where I'm like, <laughs> holy crap, you're the guys from YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> but same thing, just they were down to earth and, and wanted to talk and were happy to talk for a little bit mm-hmm. and kind of share some of their growth. And um, I don't know. me. I always feel like I'm bothering people, but. I've learned from our experience, not that we're famous by any means, but people listen to us and, and like what we're putting down. So it's, 
it's uh it's cool to kind of get that feedback on our end and know that hey what we're we're doing is appreciated and and well received so but yeah. speaking oh. of weezer yes friend i think that's a really good segue into our uh take it or leave it for this week because that might be what <laughs> some of these people are jamming out to while they're going on hikes so. that's not what i hear so i have noticed recently especially this year um and especially since Bluetooth speakers are cheaper to get, like more affordable. You know, I got to admit when I kayak, I have a Bluetooth speaker that I take with me and I'm on the – I'm on a river or a lake. I'm listening to some mellow tunes kind of at a respectable level. But there's some people hiking yeah. as if they're partying, like it's a rave up the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's typically like you hear Drake or or something yeah. like that. So my take it or leave it is speakers on hikes. Is there a place for that? Should it be in your headphones? Should it be where you're respecting everyone else that may be on that hike too? Yeah, I guess I'll I'll start and say when I do it. And to be honest, when you first when I first read this in there, I was like, oh man, is this what what Kyle Shannon and I talked about at the end of our last podcast where we're we're like speaking to people on <laughs> on hikes and like being like a a presentation type speaker and saying oh this is this and this is and then i was like oh no he means like music speakers um when i I do it i'll put headphones in uh, especially when i'm walking around by myself and it's like i have so many different podcasts i listen to that i'm like okay this is a good chance for me to catch up but i feel guilty doing it because i'm like i'm missing out on a lot of the experience here because so much of the experience is actually what you're hearing in addition to what you're seeing yeah. and smelling and, and sensing. Um, I, but at the same time, like I don't, as long as you're not intruding on someone else's experience, I think it's okay. If that's what gets you out there and that's what has you enjoying it is having some music and, and jamming out as you're going through the woods or hiking that mountain or doing your kayak, by all means, it, like if it's going to make your experience more enjoyable just because I enjoy it more keeping the music to myself or keeping the noise to myself or listening to what's around me doesn't mean that that's the only way to do it. Now, growing up, I, I spent a lot of my weekends fishing with my dad on a lake listening to Philadelphia Phillies games. Mm-hmm. And it was – but it was always in like like fishing from a campsite mm-hmm. yep. where there was no one else. And it was at a respectable level. It wasn't being blared. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand if you're at a park and – you're you're grilling you know many parks have grills and and picnic tables and your family's gathering and you're playing some music i understand that too um just to to take the loud music with you through the hike because you're you're not you to me you're there to experience the sound i'm not saying i haven't taken a walk and and had headphones in or Mm -hmm. like i have but a lot of times i'm listening for birds i'm i'm listening to see what's going around and you're affecting all that too so you're not getting the same experience when you're blasting that music and making yourself unless you're scared you know that may be a factor it's like hey you'll hear me coming yeah there was a something that i don't remember the exact context but it was a on the meat eater podcast they were talking about there's someone who's doing this study with mountain lions out west and what they did to kind of humanize the mountain lions was actually play the Meat Eater podcast. Oh, okay. To, so that, that was kind of like they hear human voices. And, like, yeah. when you're walking through the woods saying, oh, hey, mountain lion, like, kind of talking is yeah. different than 
a human interaction where you're hearing conversations. So that was what they were trying to do is replicate a conversation by playing a podcast where you had a conversation. Yeah. Um, and it was basically to see what, how the mountain lions would respond to human pressure. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things like when you're in bear country, they really recommend is, Hey, you're going through and, and making your presence known because you don't, you definitely don't want to sneak up on a bear. And if you're walking through quietly and listening, you're not probably not going to hear the bear making noise. And, uh, you don't want to round that bend and then see a, a sow and or two cubs and find out the hard way that you should have been making noise. Yeah. So, but, uh. Yeah, I guess, I, yeah, from a safety perspective, I can definitely see that. Not just for wildlife, but for, for other things. Um, for me, I'm just trying to understand it. You know, for the most part, when I'm going on a hike, I'm with my wife, and we're having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we're kayaking, I haven't kayaked by myself. I'm typically with someone. Yeah. And we may have music for part of the kayaking trip in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, I, I know it sounds corny, but maybe we'll play a little James Taylor you know, something mm-hmm. like really mellow, Martin Sexton, just something laid back where it's just kind of background music. It's not taking away. Um, yeah. But it's not the whole trip. It's like I enjoy the sounds and, mm-hmm. and being alone that way. It's something to enjoy some music with it. But I, like like a more than a handful of, of, of trips this year, it's been like mm-hmm. I was walking into a rave halfway up yeah. a mountain. <laughs> yeah, and that's where I think the balance is. Because some people, it's just, hey, they just want to get out and get some exercise and, and enjoy that, the yeah. view. They don't necessarily care about the birds and everything else. It's uh, That's the balance is when do you start intruding on someone else's good time? And there, there's a compromise there because for some people, it's any noise. <laughs> like even a conversation is going to be intruding on them. And, uh, and to those people, I say you should probably get real and realize that you're not the only person that's out there to enjoy it. You're you're sharing this place with other people, but um, but yeah, if you're if you're blasting, the same thing happens on golf courses all the time where people have music and you have the usually the like the old school golfers are like, what the heck do you need to listen to all that yeah. crap for and come up and give them a hard time? But if if it improves your experience, eventually, I think people will. Like they grow out of that phase. Yeah, I guess part of they start to realize how as they do that, they either stop going, or they realize, hey, this is actually really like they're the one of the last ones in their group is still going in. Yeah, and says, oh yeah, there's some really cool stuff up here, and I enjoy hearing the birds, and I enjoy hearing the squirrels, and all this other stuff. Now, before I hurt my knee, I was a jogger, mm-hmm. and I always listened to music, but it was twofold. Once it was when it was pacing. And I found of all things to listen to, that's where my my relationship with Jimmy Buffett became about because all of his music is very similar tempoed. Mm-hmm. So to jog and listen to a playlist yeah. of Jimmy Buffett, you were you were keeping a very similar tempo as you jogged. But if you had the music low enough, it kind of isolated your your breathing and your mm-hmm. footsteps where you could just hear that and it just made I don't know, that's what I was thriving on jog i didn't want the outside interference i mm-hmm. i needed in my head to keep going yeah that and i i understand that you know and i'm a music fan so i understand wanting to bring music with you i don't know mm-hmm. there's just something where it's that just seemed wrong to me i'm i'm gonna leave yeah. it but i'm not condemning I'll, anyone for doing it yeah i i if i was out with people i would say 
the group I'm with, I would not want to be playing music because how else, like, if you're playing music, you're not going to hear all the things that are really important that I have to say yes. about what we're seeing on the hike. And that's what we're really here for at the end of the day, isn't it? You're taking a hike with, with the famous Tom Knezza from the Native Plants Only Planet podcast. Like, don't you want to hear all the Native Plant facts I'm going to tell I, you and how I need to iNaturalist all the things I see? I, I do it to my wife. But when other people are around, I tend not to. Yeah. Because they don't really know what I do for a living. And when you start mm-hmm. saying this and that, like I start getting weird looks like, what? How do you yeah. know this? Like, what do you like? And I'm just like, I don't feel like having that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just get, but my wife gets the full brunt of it all the time. Mm-hmm. At least she acts interested. She may be like, like genuinely interested, mm-hmm. or she's just, yeah. she loves me. Yeah. And she, it's a, that's a, that <laughs> she is puts a up really with it. tricky question because I can, like, I've been there where you're sitting at a campsite and trying to read a book and then, People that are three sites down start playing music, yeah. and it's like, man, I was really enjoying everything. But there was um, something I read a long time ago. Or it was in the book The Nature Fix, and it was saying how like how few places there are in the world where you won't hear any human sound because everywhere has airplanes flying over top. Yeah, and eventually, you're gonna, like, yeah, that road may be three miles away, but you can hear it. And um, the, when you have a tractor trailer that's throwing on the brakes you know it so even though you're three miles away it's just so hard to get away from from human sound um yeah, yeah. i i don't see adding to it yeah i'm not saying i'm not guilty to a certain extent but i i'd say if it's out loud speakers and you're just walking on a hike by yourself i'm gonna leave it mm-hmm. yeah i i i would say i personally leave it if i if i do listen to anything it's with headphones in i I tend to not use like outdoor speakers anyway because I am just very self conscious about what's going on. I do not want to intrude on anyone else's time. I heck, I don't want people to even know I'm there. Yeah, it's uh, I'm the same way. So, so yeah, yeah, awesome. I all think right. that's all we have. Yeah, so that's gonna wrap us up for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz. Thank you everyone for listening. To Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. Uh, thank you to R.J. Comer for our buzz theme music. It wouldn't be the same without it. Uh, you can uh, stream or buy RJ's music on iTunes, uh, listen on Spotify, wherever you consume your music. Uh, definitely check out his Americana playlist on Pandora. Do yourself a favor because you will enjoy it. Speaking of going on a hike and listening to something relaxing or a kayak trip, that would be uh, a perfect thing to use for that. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, or Native plants underscore healthy planet and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Don't forget about the question and comment line. It's been a little quiet the last couple of weeks. Uh, call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that. 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We're going to play it on a future episode of The Buzz. Answer it to the best of our ability. And if we can't, we will phone a friend. And the Facebook group, man, we just got a bunch more members today alone and uh only one spam uh that we had to to kick out not too bad it's been but the conversations have been wonderful and uh we appreciate everyone that that uh takes part yeah i love peeping in on that group and just kind of seeing how they're talking about topics we approach i can't wait to see what what they this might be our first fight is the the speaker conversation if people are into speakers or against i have already uh made a note 
to make sure that Christiane posts that as a poll. Okay, good. So that yeah. uh, we can see how our listeners feel about that. Yeah. So uh, you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplan.com. There's a link right at the top that takes you to our Teespring store, and that basically is going to have a whole bunch of different designs. Uh, more to come. Uh, I'm Now that I'm back from all my trips, I have some time to sit down and actually put up some of these uh, new designs that I've been thinking and seeing and like actually say, oh, here's what we're going to do. Um, and design them. Well, we have some cool. conferences coming up, so I would like new shirts for yeah, that. So yeah, and uh, yeah, I've <laughs> little embarrassing tidbit. Oh, maybe this will be my secret. Um, what is I, it? I can just share it now. Right. It's basically I I have one native plants healthy planet T shirt. The the Doctor Talmy one. Yeah, says uh, Quercus and Prunus and whatever all the way down to Actually, Populus. Uh, yeah, and um, and I wear that. To anytime I'm doing something with native plants off the planet, I'll wear that one because I just like that one the best. Yeah. And uh, and <laughs> I ended up being at like a couple events where I wore it now. Like, I, there's weeks in between, yeah. but it's like the shirt I wore, and there's like customers of ours, and I'm like, oh, the last three times you've seen me have <laughs> been in the exact yeah. same clothes. I've uh, promised I've watched them, and um, yeah, so it's. I don't know. I need to get some more but, too because it's getting a little embarrassing. I think I have wearing the same thing. I have five. I wear four pretty regularly, mm-hmm. and I again I do the same thing. Like I'm wearing them to all the things, and even though like I think at this point everyone's seen me. Yeah. Wear, and I'm gonna wear them again this weekend. So if you're going to the society, well, you've already seen me. Like, yeah. You've seen yeah. me wear it again. So yeah, it's um, yeah, I have two, and uh, and. So I, because oh, I'm tricky, so I always buy like t-shirts in tall sizes, and uh, the so the one I couldn't get in a tall size, so it just doesn't. Uh, I don't know. Gotcha. It just doesn't fit me right, so I don't wear it that often. Well, I wear it around the house, but I don't really talk, wear it out. We talked about it. the one. I've learned that the ones that have the writing on the back, yeah, are a different t-shirt. They're a different t-shirt. So I don't you, think anymore. When we bought them, they were. I okay. think I change it so change they're it. the okay. same now. Because the ones if it's on the front, they fit me good. Like I almost have to go up a size if mm-hmm. it's the other one. So yeah. I have that one, and it just fits a little uncomfortable. And I don't wear. Yep, it and that's what it was. It was, yeah. it was the old style, and um, which I did get another email saying there's a rate increase on the um, on the new but one. It's but going. that's a good point. Is it doesn't all the profits that we make, we don't keep them, so we're not losing any money when they increase the rates. But uh, we might have to do it so we can keep giving that money. Oh, yeah. And we're the, the groups that are receiving that money, some of the guests that have been on the podcast, are really doing really great work. Exactly. But they're still getting uh, the same amount out of it. It's either that or we run a really tight margin and sell a hell of a lot more T-shirts. Yeah, So um, I agree. But uh, you can also listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com, but you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast. If you can do us a huge, huge favor and uh, and make our Apple overlords really happy, you can leave yeah. us a five-star review. And if you do a little uh, little write-up with that. In fact, uh, Jake and Kyle and, yeah. and I from uh, the Native, they're them from the Native yeah. Habitat Project, and then us, we were uh, when we would introduce these, ourselves to new people at the Eastern Native Grass and Symposium, we would take their phones and subscribe each other to <laughs> each other's podcasts and if we could had time, we'd hit the five stars too. Awesome. But uh, get us some new subscribers in there. That was a, it goes a long, long way. We were, that was one of the things we were yeah. talking about is how important that is for 
increasing your your footprint and increasing your reach. And I will say this: we've actually, by no fault of us or our listeners, we've actually dropped a little bit in the the, the nature category just because of the amount of podcasts that have switched to the nature category, mm-hmm. all Sasquatch related. <laughs> so there's a. There's a bunch of Bigfoot podcasts in front of us now yeah. that just have a bigger following, and it's mm-hmm. um, anytime. And so we, it's not like we have less listeners. There's just more competition. Yep. So anything you can do to help elevate us back up is is very much appreciated. Yeah. So and uh, all right. So I was gonna say, like you have used, like for what you are going to be out the rest of the week for. Yeah. You have used that as a secret before. I've used I've used what is a secret before. Not what you're getting fixed, but that or, I'm blind. Yeah, that you're blind, <laughs> basically without your yeah. glasses. So I thought maybe this would be yeah. a good update. Yeah. So I've I've revealed before how I wear glasses, or more, primarily I wear contact lenses, and um, but yeah, I'm getting LASIK done uh, on Wednesday, and really excited about it. I don't think it's really going to change much of my day to day life because I misuse uh, and abuse contact lenses, <laughs> and I basically put them in and don't take them out for a month, and um, I ran out of contacts and. I was like, well, I got to order more, but my prescription had expired. And so I was like, oh, I guess I'll have to book a, an eye doctor appointment because I haven't been in five years. And uh, my wife's like, well, why don't you just get LASIK done instead and never have to worry about buying contacts again? So, uh, yeah, that's where that's, I am. Is we, we said, well, let's go that route. And we've been talking about it for a while. And, uh, yeah, now is the time. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for it. It may not change your day-to-day, but it will just change how yeah, you – Yeah, I don't think it's going to change my day-to-day routine so much because I wasn't – Taking and putting in contacts mm-hmm. and wearing glasses so regularly, but it is going to improve some of the other activities I do. Like when I go and play lacrosse, I'm just going to be able to see from everything I've everyone I've talked to. I'm going to be able to see so much more clearly. Um, I would have issues with my contacts every once in a while where they just get a little blurry and I have to take them out and rinse them just because they've fogged up. Now I don't but, uh, I don't know how often your prescriptions changing, but now that I'm getting older and I wear glasses, mm-hmm. like mine changes mine changed drastically drastically in six months yeah you know so now even with these glasses i'm having trouble reading just because it's not as clear as it used to be mm-hmm. so these glasses work great for like two months and then yeah. now they're not quite there so sucks like imagine to, it always to get old friend yeah. I'm, I'm not <laughs> too far behind you but i'm behind you yeah it's uh you know but that's something that you won't have to worry about because yeah. typically like i think if you need i know that doesn't help you if you need readers but that wouldn't Start until your forties. Yeah, so I'm not got, too far away from there. Uh, you got a little bit of time. You got a little bit of time. But that's yeah, great... I was, that was uh, I was talking with Andy Ernst at this last conference, and Andy Ernst is the son of the uh, Calvin Ernst who founded Ernst Seed, and um, and we're just joking around, and he's like, "Oh yeah, try not to get old." I'm like, "Well, it's funny because my definition of old seems to get older every birthday." <laughs> it used to be, "Oh yeah, thirty year old," and I'm like, "Now that I'm thirty three, I'm like, eh." Not even 40. 40 is a little too close. So like, I'd say 50. 50. 50 is when you start getting like. And now that I'm 50, I'm like, ah, you know, 65. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. when you're old. You yeah. know, but I look at people that are 60, you know, 55 and 60. And it's we, – we had this conversation in the office that I look younger than my parents did. Like when I mm. was born, yeah. my parents were 40 and 37. I look younger than they did at that point. In the 70s, mm-hmm. like – People weren't dyeing their hair. People weren't, yeah. you know, if you balled it, you weren't necessarily shaving your head. You were just letting yeah. it go. You know, it's mm-hmm. a it's a difference in, you know, there was no uh, 
uh, suntan lotion. Mm. There were there there was a difference in just how you cared for yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it's uh, I think people at this age or at my age look much better than if you mm-hmm. were 50, 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's uh, and that trend hopefully. And keeps I think continuing. it's different from person to person, and and this isn't a knock on anyone either, because. Uh, Looking old isn't necessarily a bad thing either because no. it, it can be beneficial because people think you're more knowledgeable. Exactly. Um, but I look at my dad and then look at uh, another employee here who's only, I think, three years older. Yeah. And you would think they were, like, wildly different yes, in age. I agree. Um, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's – I think at the end of the day it doesn't really matter. But, yeah, it's once you start getting to that age, some people just – they. Look older, faster than others do, and maybe we have a little bit easier. I mean, my father fought in a war. You know, he he lived through. I was even thinking, how much of that is just sun exposure and cigarettes? Sun exposure. He was unfiltered cigarette Mm because cigarettes were unfiltered. You know, unfiltered cigarettes, sun exposure, fought in a war. He he did uh, uh, in the Korean War parachute and demolition, which Mm -hmm. was quite a combo. you think of things like asbestos and mm. mercury fillings and <laughs> things like everyone smoked. It's so I yeah. never see anyone smoke when I was a kid. Yeah, everyone, it's very rare. Everyone smoked. One of the things we that had a uh, smoking lounge at my high school. <laughs> like in my high school, we had a smoking lounge. One of the things Melissa, my wife, told me about was um was and it's really it's like that. I, I don't want to say it this way, but this is the only. The baby boomer generation. I was going to say the boomer generation, but I remember. Oh, yes, yeah, baby boomer. Um, that age group is – and the the one before and the one slightly after yeah. is the one that's really going through the most um, issues with lead poisoning, like lead accumulation yeah. over the years. And there, there's research being done to see if some of this, like that boomer mentality yeah. is actually – Caused by, because you figure you had lead, by lead poison because you had lead, lead paint, lead, lead in your gasoline, lead, lead pen- was lead pencils, lead was everywhere. You know. Prior to that, lead wasn't like you didn't have gas cars for as yeah. long of their their lives, so you didn't have that lead like, exposure at a young age. Like I remember lead at gasoline. Like yeah. I I don't think we had our first unleaded vehicle until like seventy eight. You know, so yeah. I remember like regular gas. You know, it's um, mm-hmm. yeah, there are a lot of. A lot, of, a lot of health obstacles. Yeah, back then. I think they're finding that there's some of the repercussions of that that snippet of time where lead was in a lot of things. We're just seeing some of the the health repercussions now, and or I shouldn't say just seeing them, but just finding out about oh maybe this was the cause. And that's one of the scary things with yeah. with COVID is you have this new disease and. Obviously, there was some neurological effects with that disease, with the loss of taste and and the long COVID stuff, and like loss of taste for an extended period of time. And I guess some of the scientists are like, we're not going to know the damage that was done by some of the stuff for 30, 40 years. Yeah, exactly. That's when you're going to say, oh, yeah, when you caught COVID and, and lost your tense of, sense of taste for like a week back in 2020. That destroyed part of your brain that is essential for you to live in your 60s. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, we're not going to know for a long time. Yeah. I it's, mean, even like uh, – I know we talked about this on the podcast before. When I was a kid, I remember the DT, DDT trucks mm-hmm. putting the fog down the street, and we would ride our bikes in the fog, see how far you could travel 
you know, even though they told you not to go outside, mm-hmm. like our parents, my parents didn't tell us not to. Yeah. It's not like we, we snuck out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was just, there were so many things like you think of drinking out of the, the spigots, like all the things they tell you, you can't do now. Yeah, And there's so much nostalgia to that day and age. And like some of this, even the there stuff is. from my childhood growing up in the nineties where it's like, Oh, it doesn't seem like kids do that nowadays. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, there's there's that 1% chance or less than 1% chance that something bad would happen from drinking in the hose yeah. or, or playing outside unattended. But you don't want to be that 1%. Yeah. And it's so, as a new parent, like, I can see, oh, yeah, we are much more restrictive than my parents were with me. And I Oh, I had no restrictions. I don't like that yeah. at times. Like, I'm like, oh, I used to get to play outside, and I loved it, and I want him to have some of the – same experience as I did, but at the it's, same time, like if something happened to him when I wasn't there because he was playing a stream and a tree fell down, and some, something happened, I would, I would never forgive myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can understand and, some of it once you know the danger. It's like it's a lot harder to it, imagine it's not there. It's easy to become nostalgic, but there's also we were laughing today, and I don't know if you were here when we were having the conversation. Is that there were so many people here that didn't know what going to school wearing floods and bobos men yeah you know and it's because kids don't tease each other about that kind of stuff mm-hmm. anymore it's not and it's a different time where stuff is more accessible you know it's hey if it looks cool yeah. who cares but you know it's uh do you know what floods and bobos are i i've heard floods and i've floods. heard the term bobos but i and i so, knew it was shoes but i didn't really know yeah floods exactly are when you're you've outgrown your pants mm-hmm. and they're not long enough you could see your yeah. ankles, you yeah. know, and Bobo's were just shoes that were generic, like no name brand mm-hmm. shoes, you know, that you could get it like at the time, like Kmart or yeah. something like that. That's something yeah. you got. It was teased. A, yeah. Like it was an interesting conversation because I did hear some of what you're talking about earlier. And I was I thought about chiming in, but I didn't because I'm like, I don't want this to get out of hand. But it's I you hear that sentiment a lot. Yeah. And the comment was made. It's like, oh, yeah, I wonder if if. Kids today had gotten teased about that kind of stuff. Maybe they wouldn't be so sensitive now. And now that I'm approaching that like middle ground, I'm still yeah. towards the younger end versus the older. I look at the folks that are in high school now and in college now. I'm like, they're so much tolerant, even than I was. There's things that we oh, did in my generation that you wouldn't even touch now. They're so much more tolerant and accepting and all this stuff. Which is and the people thing, who really complain or are intolerant are the ones. My parents' age, yeah, the ones—they're yeah. the ones that are like complain all the time and are have that snowflake mentality yeah. in my mind. Now they went through a whole lot more yeah. as as children, but I think there's a lot of pent up um, and repressed uh, emotional trauma that they never got to express that kids they do, they, and it, maybe this is just how it's displaying itself. And that, like I said, it's a it's a tough. We're probably digging ourselves in a hole. No, <laughs> no my, about you know, stuff. my children are kinder and more tolerant mm-hmm. and more accepting than anyone I remember at my age. Yeah, um, which is a great and they're and that's the average for their friend group. I'm not mm-hmm. saying they're exemplary. I'm just saying they're average. You yeah. know, in in this and that's come a long way, and I'm very proud of that. That those things mm-hmm. have changed. You know, it's. It's just funny to look back on hard times and think nostalgic. Yeah. You know, because I, for as much as I loved some of that stuff, I would never want my children to have to go through that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's. Um, and that's the goal at the end of the day is to build, you're trying to build a life for your children 
that takes all that trauma and repression and all the, the obstacles. Not that oh, I'm, I feel bad even I think claiming a, that I had obstacles to no, go but through. That's but that's a result of you're trying what you went through, trying to fix do that those for issues. Your, yeah. Yeah, we're, I'm trying to present a life for my son where he doesn't have to go through some of that yeah. or any of it, really. But at the same time, some of it is character building and, and good. Yeah, to um, a certain extent. Yeah. That doesn't mean you need to to go through abuse to build character, yeah. you know, yeah. but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, I, I appreciate the experience that I was given to grow up at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I feel that my kids need it to get drunk for the first time at 11? Like I did when my baseball coach took the team to the Phillies game and got us drunk and let us free in vet stadium, yep. you know, something that can only happen in 1980, yep. you know, it's, <laughs> It's uh that's not happening yeah. today, you know. And our baseball coach was nineteen. Who's letting a nineteen-year-old yeah. coach a little league baseball oh, yeah. team full of ten and ten to twelve-year-olds? So it's, you know, I look back at that and I joke about it now. My parents never found out about that, mm-hmm. but is that something I would want my kids to experience? No. Oh, so yeah, I'm happy. If, yeah, if that was to happen today, that kid. Oh, there would be lost. Oh. Be so locked up. <laughs> it's like just uh, yeah. So it's. What we have today is a product of where we've been going through. So yeah. it's like, yeah, it's, I don't know. I I'm, I'm tend to be fairly quiet. And one of the things I take a lot of pride in with myself is when I am upset with something, I don't say, oh, that's stupid. I kind of look and try and find, well, why are they doing this that way? Why, oh, they, they don't want you to skateboard by the pool. Why is that rule in place? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. it's probably because someone skateboarded in the pool and a kid got hit or the, the <laughs> someone fell in the pool and went unconscious because they knocked their head on the edge because they were skateboarding. There's a rule. There's most, a reason that rule is most, there. It's not just made up. rules are it's, results of, of action. <laughs> and um, and may, it may infringe on your good time. There was an experience I had over the summer where – uh, we were camping, and there, I overheard someone complaining. They wanted to bring their dog to the little beach, and they were complaining that the park rangers would not let them bring their dog there, and um, and they were very upset and saying, oh, I can't believe they would do that. Well, their experience is based off of their experience with their dog. Yeah. The park rangers' experience is based off of, hey, there is a, someone who brought their dog and ended up biting a kid. So that's why I don't care that your dog's well. You say your dog's well behaved, but we don't know because that's what the person whose dog bit the kid said. And, and you and can't, so we monitor, can't, can't you can't monitor each dog as they come and say, yeah. "All right, is this one good? Yes, is this one good? Yeah. No." Like you can't, you can't do that. Yeah. Like I get it, I, I totally get it. But it's, it's. Uh, I don't even know how we went down this rabbit hole. I don't either. But it was kind we of talking fun. about your so, eyes. <laughs> yeah. If um. So if you tuned in this far, <laughs> we're gonna go on for another 30, 40 minutes here. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fran, what? I know you were upset the other day. You think that was a? I'm just joking uh, around. Uh, I'm, just, I'm, <laughs> I'm just joking around. But anyway, that uh, that was me learning learning good skills. Yeah, like that's just yeah. I I handled that like a hundred times better than I would have handled that ten years ago. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, so I'm actually giving myself props for that. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> no, we're all here to grow and we're all here to learn and. And tolerance is an important part of that. Yeah. And understanding what other people are going through is an important part of that. Um, and I hope my vision is better on Thursday. I hope <laughs> so. so, too. 
Let's cross our fingers. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Coming up uh, next week, do we have a confirmation? We don't have a confirmed guest, but there's there's – Hopefully, one of two options okay. that I think are going to get back. We talk, Well, we talked about Marty McHugh being a guest. Yeah, and, and that so kind of got pushed off. Yeah, he had to postpone. So hopefully he's on next he's time. But if not, we have a. I think we have a good backup that um, uh, that's pretty current as okay. well. So awesome, awesome. It'll I'm happen excited. In the, if, both of them will happen in the not-too-distant future if they aren't next week. All right, so next week will be a surprise. You're going to find out shortly after we find out so well thank you for turning in this week we'll see you again next time until then keep it native thank you for listening to the native plants healthy planted podcast presented by pinelands nursery Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.